continue our study in Exodus tonight. We're in Exodus 32. A nice familiar passage. Feel like we haven't had one of those. Looking forward to sharing it with you. We're going to look at the entire chapter, even though I'm only going to preach on the first 13 verses tonight, but it is one narrative, so we're going to read the whole thing. If we can all stand in honor of reading God's Word, Exodus 32, the whole chapter, and am I doing something wrong that I'm getting that echo? Should we further up? Two. Okay. Hopefully that's good. Okay, Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and that I may consume them, in order that I might make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power, with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there was a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the, shout, the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. 
And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people, because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. You may be seated. All right, so if you're here last week, you know that Mike preached on the Sabbath, and he had commented how that was actually the second opportunity God gave him to do so, because back when we did the Ten Commandments, he also preached on the commandment of the Sabbath. Well, I'm going to be telling you pretty much the same thing. It's hard to believe, but just over a year ago, October 21st, 2021, I preached on the Second Commandment, that thou shalt have no graven image. And whether you remember or not, I commented how I'd always taken that to mean a false idol to a false god, a, an idol to Buddha, or you know something that would not give God, that would give God's glory to someone else. But we said if that's really what it means, then that kind of makes it redundant with the first commandment where God already said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. It doesn't make much sense that he'd say, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and if you do, make sure you don't make a graven image to them. It just didn't seem to gel. And then we looked at some verses. Uh, like Deuteronomy 4, 15 to 18. I'll just, I just picked ones that I felt um, best summarized the thought. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. So I had used that passage to comment that God is saying, since you saw no form on the day the Lord spoke to you, don't try to make a form. Not of another god. He's not referring to worshiping other gods. He's saying, I don't want you to feel like you can put me into a box. I don't want you to feel like you can define me. Because once you feel that way, you're going to start worshiping the, the creation that you made, even if it was of me, instead of me. That's what he goes on to say in Deuteronomy 4.19. Beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven. That doesn't just mean look up. It means to look up to him. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you'll be drawn away, their focus was on him, and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. So at the time I commented that the sermon was something like uh, serve, uh, worshiping the right God the wrong way. 
You know, he's saying, no, you don't get to pick how you're going to worship me. I don't want you making images of me because next thing you know, you're going to be worshiping that image instead of worshiping me. And at the time, I referenced the golden calf as something that I always thought. I mean, the verse does kind of say, make us another God. But no, it, it, it says, make us gods that can lead us because that Moses, that man who was lead, we can't find him anymore. It's really more about their concern that Moses was our connection to God, and now we don't have a connection to God, so maybe we can make a connection to God. And I'll say the same thing I said then. If you think that's just a classic case of rebellious, disobedient Israel, then the theme of tonight's message is don't be rebellious and disobedient. I hope you didn't have to come out to church on a Sunday night to hear that. We know that. But so much more dangerously, what if Israel wasn't being purposely rebellious and sinful, but rather... Scared, worried, rationalizing and deluding themselves into something that would make them feel better. Are we really going to say we're immune to that? Are we really going to say that we can't be susceptible to, well, but if this and then maybe this, and okay, yeah, no, no, I think this is a good idea. And meanwhile, God's over here saying, are you kidding me? What about me? So God laid on my heart the title of tonight's sermon, What Went Wrong? Okay, what went wrong? Again, if it was just Israel being classic Israel, then I guess that's what went wrong. But oh my goodness, if it was a, a, a people who had been... Per I know that they're wandering in the wilderness, but they're wandering in the wilderness because a mighty God got them out of Egypt and has done so many miracles for them and have, has done nothing but uh, provide for them and be there for them. And now their, their spokesman is up on a mountain so they can get a special word from... I mean, everything seems to be going good. But they, somehow they end up making a golden calf and everything falls apart and 3,000 people die. And i got to believe that this story was recorded not just to tell us what Israel did wrong, but so that we can learn from it to make sure that we don't make the same mistakes. So we'll pray. Like I said, I think I said 13. I don't know why we're doing the first 10 verses tonight. Then we'll take next week off and pick up and finish the chapter on November 6th, Lord willing. Lord, I thank you. As I do every time I'm in this pulpit, I do not take for granted that there's still air in my lungs, that you chose me to speak on this night, on this passage, to this group. Lord, it's so comforting and, and humbling to just think about your sovereignty and to know that everything that's happening at this exact moment is because you ordained it to happen. So I thank you. I thank you for the message you laid on my heart over a year ago. And then I blinked, and now here I am a year later. Um, at least for myself, refocusing on something that you've shown me and having the honor and opportunity to share it with my family. So we pray your blessing on your word. Lord, thank you for this morning and the reminder of how important and true your word is and for the spirit that speaks it to our heart. And I just pray that we're willing to listen and let him. Lord, you know, I try to apply this stuff to my life, but each person here has to apply it to their own and just see why you have us all here tonight. So we thank you in advance in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what went wrong? Uh, we're only looking at ten verses, and the first thing that goes wrong is in the very first verse. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered up to get themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So what went wrong? The people thought. That's what went wrong. I think we all can relate to that, yes? 
things that in your mind just make total sense and next thing you know, oh my goodness, what in the world just happened? The financial decision that you were just, there's no way this isn't gonna work and the bottom falls out. The relationship that you're just so sure is gonna be life-changing and sure enough it turns out life-changing but not in the way you were expecting, right? We can relate on a human level to what Israel was doing here. But the problem is what Israel was doing had a spiritual aspect to it. And that's where we have to be most careful. None of us are going to be perfect with the decisions we make in life. We might pick the wrong job. We might pick the wrong this. We learn from that. God uses that to help us grow. But when those are the things that, that pull us away from him and have us thinking things the way um, the Israelites did, that's when we have to be careful. Right? We, we complain slash comment on, you know, how, how churches have, you know, practically rock concerts now. We can bash that all they want, but let's be honest, I really do believe that the main reason is because they believe that will bring people in. And how could that be a bad thing? We're bringing people in. Don't you want people to come in? Don't you want them to enjoy the, mute, the worship? And by definition, you kind of forgot who the worship was supposed to be for, right? Or people who just don't, you know, preach the cross from the pulpit. But, 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 but we believe it. And, you know, if somebody wants to meet us in the office, we'll talk about it. You just, you know, when you do it from here, it just rubs people the wrong way, and then they don't come back. And don't you want people to be here? No. I don't want people to be here if they're going to be here not hearing about Christ. So the point is we're surrounded by it. We're surrounded by examples not of building golden calves, but of thinking that if you look at it one way, it seems to make sense, and next thing you know, it takes you somewhere that you never thought you were going to be. I just thought of some, you know, more individual level. Well, you know, I could work an extra shift on Sunday, you know, church is still on Facebook. And it is. I, I get it. You, you could watch it, but then you totally forget the aspect of the community and the fellowship that God commands for us and wants for us. Uh, again, I'm just throwing out that this speaks to you, but you know, Oh, my kids are so cranky in the morning. It's just, you know, we just come to the 11 because it's such a fight to get them out the door early. There's truth to that. As a parent, I can tell you it's easier to let your kids sleep. But do you know the message you're sending them? That, yeah, Sunday school is important, but not as important as I don't want to deal with you being cranky later? Like, but we don't think of it that way. It's just, it makes sense in the moment. Right? All these things that, that, oh, I know I need to do my devotions, but if you knew how much else I had going on, you'd understand why I don't have time. That's probably why when you need your devotions the most. If you have that much going on, you have <laughs> that many more opportunities to go down a wrong road, to have bad thinking, to do something. That's when you more than ever have got to lock yourself in, but we just so often don't see it that way. And the saddest part is, you know, we, we end up, you know, down the road, oh, what was I thinking? Oh, I wasn't thinking. No, you were thinking. That's the problem. You were thinking. You convinced yourself. You gave yourself all these reasons why it's going to be okay. Uh, maybe in heaven I'll find out, but I fully believe that's what the Israelites were doing. I do not think they were saying, we don't need you, God, anymore. We're moving on. No, because they go on and offer it. They make an offering to him. They throw a party, supposedly, oh, good, we're, we're good again. Man, they fooled themselves, and I just don't want to see that happen here. So, it's the thinking that got us in trouble, but what does pastor always say about thinking? Christianity is a thinking religion. All right, so which one is it, John? Am I allowed to think or am I not allowed to think? It's both. Like, that's why we need to talk about this. 
I'm not just going to bash the Israelites and move on to chapter 33. Are you kidding me? It's the thinking that gets us in trouble, but it's also the thinking that draws us closer to him. When Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, don't interpret that as, listen, when you don't understand what's going on, just trust God. He has it. That's an awesome comment, by the way. But that's not what the verse says. The verse doesn't say, trust in the Lord with all your heart when you don't understand. It pretty much says, trust in the Lord with all your heart when you do understand. When you think you understand something, those are the moments you think you don't need God. I mean, what do I need him for? I already understand what's going on. Oh, that's dangerous. We have to trust in the Lord. And I don't want to say in spite of our understanding, because the, the closer we grow to him and the more the Spirit speaks to us, the more our understanding goes in line with trusting him. If I know who God is, and I know how much he loves me, and I know the promises that are in his word, and my understanding tells me to trust in him, then I hate to argue with scripture, but you better believe I'm going to lean on my understanding. We know what that verse means. Lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your yeah buts. Lean not on your, well, I know the Bible says, or yeah, but this is a different situation. Dangerous. It's dangerous, not when we think, thinking should be a good thing, but when we do our own thinking. Don't point a finger at the Israelites unless you're willing to point multiple fingers back at yourself. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. I actually used to think that was in the evangelical verse, which I guess it kind of is. Right? People are out there doing what they think is right, and they're going to stand before a holy God, and they're going to be sentenced. But that's not what the verse is saying. It's not saying there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. Its end is the way to death. It, it, it sets you on the wrong path. It, it has you heading in the wrong direction, and yet it seemed right to you. I can't be the only person in the room. I mean, I do it less than I used to, but I'd be lying if I said I never did it. Lord, I know what you want me to do here, but I'm just going to say sorry later. Whether it's lose your temper, whatever it might be, there are times when you know what you're doing isn't right. Well, guess what? Shame on you and let the Holy Spirit you know, convict you of that so that you can repent. But oh my goodness, when it seems right, when it's just so much easier to not go to God about it, because come on, this can't be that bad. Oh, come on, this makes sense. Oh, come on. This person said this, and, and I'm pretty sure this is, oh my goodness. Am I, am I extrapolating off of what the Israelites did? Yes. But do I think it's exactly what they did? Yes. I believe that they leaned on their own understanding. Uh, Proverbs 28, 26, I love this one the most. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. You cannot walk in wisdom without thinking. <laughs> you can't... My brain always gets me in trouble, so I'm going to turn it off and just walk in wisdom. It doesn't work that way. You don't get to turn your brain off. Your brain needs to be on. But it needs to be on, focused on the things of God, being fed the things of God, being pointed at the things of God, so that when those moments come, you're not leaning on your own understanding. You're leaning on His. That's, I would say, the second most important responsibility of the Holy Spirit. If you're wondering what the first one is, it's that he is the seal of my adoption as a child of God. Okay, if he never helped me with one thing on this earth, 
you better believe I am thankful that he is up there as my seal that I am a child of God. But doesn't John 14, 26 tell us that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I forgot to make a slide about this, but Pastor said it twice in the last few weeks. 2 Timothy 3, 7, the people, and Darlene commented on community group, the people who are constantly learning and never coming to a knowledge of the truth. That's not what the Holy Spirit wants. The Holy Spirit isn't our tutor. You know I'm a math tutor. I'm a, I'll teach kids things long enough till they take the test, and then I'm well aware they're going to you know, probably never think about it again. The Holy Spirit's job is not to teach me and teach me and teach me and teach me so I get smarter. No, the people who are constantly learning and never coming to a knowledge of the truth are the people who are constantly learning things and then using those things to reinforce what they already think then what's the point? If you're going to do things your way, I'm not saying don't read the Bible because like we read this morning, it is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Keep reading. But you're reading at your own peril. If the Holy Spirit is exposing to you the way that you should be thinking, but all that's coming out is what you want to think, then you are, again, I don't think it means you're going to make a golden calf anytime soon, but we are in danger of falling into the same trap they did. That we're going to think, and because what we think makes sense to us, we don't really see any reason to give it to God. And because we don't see any reason to give it to God, we don't hear the Spirit's voice as he's telling us, hey, John, where are you going, bud? Whoa, hey, John, <laughs> you're really getting out there, buddy. It's how God spoke to my heart. Okay, Certainly a lot more than just yelling at those stupid Israelites that they can never get anything straight. All right? What went wrong, number one? The people listened. But can I tell you what really, yeah, no, I don't even think you could argue with me. Even worse, what went wrong? Not that the people thought, I'm sorry, I meant to say thought, that the people thought, but that Aaron listened. That was the problem. Verse 2, when the people saw, oh, sorry, I started verse 1 again. When the people saw, did I? Yeah. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early and next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. I know there's a lot of details in there that I admit I'm going to somewhat gloss over. I'm not going to make a big deal about rising up to play. It was probably sexual immorality, just drunkenness, just it wasn't pretty. Okay, as much as they thought, yay for us, it, it wasn't pretty. I understand, you know... There's a lot in there that God just didn't speak to my heart to share right now. But what he spoke is that we know he doesn't give the people a pass. We know he doesn't. 3,000 of them are going to die. They're all going to drink gold-infested water and have a plague sent on them. We, we know they're not off the hook. But let's be honest, this thing never would have gotten where it got 
if Aaron didn't listen to the people. It just shows you how important it is that a church and that God's body have strong, steadfast, convicted leaders. All those churches that we talked about with the rock music and the cross, taking the cross down and, and you know, open to society's issues because we have to see member. I wouldn't be surprised if that started with the people. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the pastor or the elders felt that that's what the people wanted, but in the end, the elders, the, the, the leaders are the ones who allowed that to happen. A church's doors need to be locked before they stay open to the things that many churches, that, that started out as good churches. I don't need to personally know them. I don't have to be able to give you account. Oh, trust me, I know they were good. I just know it. Yes, some were probably dead from the beginning, but this is what happens. The people speak, and that's not a knock on any of you guys. You understand, I'm just talking about society or, or just the population, the, the majority speaks. And, you know, was Aaron worried about a mutiny? Was Aaron nervous himself? I don't know what was going through Aaron's mind. I just know that what should have been going through Aaron's mind didn't go through Aaron's mind. And what should have went through his mind was, forget it, Moses, I got this. Start drinking this gold. I mean, it should have been ended there. And that is by far, to me, the more important thing that went wrong there. Uh, it reminds me of the story of Rehoboam. Uh, for those of you who maybe don't remember it, Rehoboam was Solomon's son. He became king after Solomon. And he wasn't sure, uh, you know, he was a little nervous about leading the country. And he, he just sought out some wisdom from different groups about uh, how he should approach his kingship. And I'm just going to read, it's also in 1 Kings, but 2 Chronicles 10, 1 to 11. It says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, for he was in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father, Solomon, made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Come to me again in three days. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, if you will be good to this people and please them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to the people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Now we're going to stop there. It's kind of a reverse of what's going on in society today. The elders, the wise people were saying, Show these people mercy. Show them compassion. They're coming to you. They're pledging their allegiance to you. Give them what they're asking for. And the young ones, the princes are saying, what, are you kidding me? You give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. You had better push down on them harder than they've ever felt before, before they step out of line. He chose poorly. He chose to go. And before you say, well, you know, how is he supposed to know which one was right? It says when the wise people told him what to do, he, he didn't like it. 
He was kind of waiting to try to find someone to say something that he was more comfortable with. And then as you read on, um, it actually splits Israel. That's why there was a Judah and an Israel. And Rehoboam raises up 180,000 people, uh, soldiers, to go get his uh, kingdom back. And God sends a prophet and says, don't you dare. This is of me. This is going to happen, this split. So I always think of that story when I think of a leader who is put in a position to listen to his elders, to the, to the ones that God has put in his life that would give godly counsel, or to listen to his friends, to the young princes, and look at what happened. And can I say I've been there? Yes. Can I say, can all the elders say that we have been in a position when good intention people who thought that they were telling us the right thing and thought that they had the best, you got to start doing this, you got to stop doing this, you need to this. And I would feel bad because I, I could understand where they were coming from, but they weren't coming from anything that I felt was biblical. And I thank God that he had people in my life, both in this church and outside of this church, that I could go to, that I could pray with, that I could ask and seek counsel that I did believe was of him. So what am I trying to tell you since all of you aren't elders? One, please pray for us. Okay? Because it's not easy. We do think. And our thinking isn't always led by the Holy Spirit, because if it was, we'd be perfect. So that's not a condemnation. It's a fact. That's the nice thing about plurality of elders. One of us gets off, hopefully the other three pull us back in, but we need your prayers and we need your help. And I somewhat want to thank you for that. I want to thank you that when you guys come to us about things, you do come to us with a spirit of, but what does Scripture say? Not what, this is what I want. You need to stop this. You need to, again, I'm not bashing anyone who's done that in the past, but I, I could just sense in my spirit that it was more of an emotional reaction. More of a leaning on your own understanding, and this is how I think it should go, and I know I don't have a verse to back it up, but I just thank you. I thank you all that the job that we are called to do isn't more difficult. Um, we know that James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I know that's referring to teaching, but obviously, if you don't practice what you preach, nobody cares what you teach, Right? Titus 2.7 says, show yourself in all respects, this was written to Titus, who was an elder of the church, or leader of the church, to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity. dignity. Those last two verses, as far as I'm concerned, are speaking to me. If we're going to microcosm who it's, it's speaking to the leaders of the church. But I want all of you to see those so that you do understand the I will not say pressure. How could it be pressure if I have the Holy Spirit residing in me? But the responsibility that is placed on us, the honor that is placed on us, and as I look at Aaron and say, how in the world could you listen to them? Hopefully all of you can look at the people and say, how in the world could you put Aaron in that position to do it? If the people are doing what God wants and the leaders are doing what God wants, guess what? The body's doing what God wants. And that's a beautiful thing that we know is what God wants. We know that the Spirit will give us, but it has to be from both sides of the pulpit. Okay? When push comes to shove, I want to promise you, I'll promise you we'll try our best. I can't guarantee anything. But I promise you that we will do everything we can when, when situations do arise, where someone's saying this, but we believe Scripture's saying this, 
Scripture wins. But thank you so much that all of you who are going like this are such an encouragement to us, because guess what? Then Scripture already wins. I hope that makes sense. I hope you understand my heart. There's a definite thank you in there, but also a please keep praying. It's not going to get easier. We talk about that in our elder meetings, about how this is coming down the road, and you know we're going to have to be dealing with this soon, and Do I selfishly want us all to be on the same page? Oh my goodness, you're going to make our job so much easier. When we're not on the same page, just please come to us in a spirit of wanting to grow in God's word. We gladly will. But I just know not every church is like that. I know. And unfortunately, not every leader, they want to stand, but after a while, it just gets to be too much. And it just gets to be easier to give in and easier to compromise. And next thing you know, the church is not what God that small church is not what God intended it to be. So that's the second thing that went wrong. One, the people thought. Two, Aaron listened. And then just last for, for tonight, and then we'll pick up in two weeks. The third thing that went wrong is God responded. Now, I have to be careful with that, because how dare I even infer that God would do anything wrong? You better know I don't mean that at all. When I say that God responded is something that's wrong, what I mean is they put him in a position to have to respond. Okay? I, we all know that there are consequences to our sin. Okay? If you constantly smoke and then you get lung cancer, it's kind of wrong of you to say, Lord, why are you persecuting me? I mean, that, that's just a consequence of sin. If you're constantly drinking and you get... I mean, we, we understand that, but then there are times like this you can't tell me, well, of course, they made a golden calf. Of course, 3,000 people died and people had to drink gold water. And but No, 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 no. This was more than just the consequence of their sin. I'm going to speak in human terms. They put God in a position where he had to put his foot down. We don't put God anywhere. I know that. He is sovereign. His will is perfect. But from a human perspective, you cannot tell me that God was up on the mountain with Moses saying, man, I wish I had a reason to trash those. Oh, look, they made a golden calf. Let's go get them. No. And any parent can relate to that. Even if you're not a parent, I hope you can relate to that. But you just want to love your children. You just want to enjoy your children. You just want to be blessed with your children. But there are times, because of things that are done or not done, that we as parents have to respond, and you know you've done something wrong when you have forced God to respond in a way that no loving father wants to, but knows he needs to, because something has to be done. Um, I think of pastor's verses that we're actually almost up to. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Believe it or not, we're getting close. We should be there by next June. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Man, I'm one and a half verses in, and all he wants us to know is how much he loves us and how much he wants to bless us, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. He wants us to know that too. And if we're going to force God's hand to respond, which I know we can't do, but just bear with me, oh, that is not a place you want to be. But when the people are thinking and the leaders are listening to the people and those things are not, I mean, really, what else do you think God's going to do other than what he has to do? 
It reminds me of the passage that I like in Amos. I know I've preached on it, but I haven't preached on it in a while. Amos 4, 6 through 12, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would not send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses, and I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. It's just a beautiful, powerful passage that God isn't saying, well, there are consequences to sin, you know. No, I brought famine to you in the hopes it would draw you back to me, and it didn't. I brought blight, I brought mildew, I brought drought, I brought this, but always with a desire to bring us back. God's response is never a bad thing. But why would we ever want to put ourselves in a position where this needs to be his response? So that's where I felt led to end. I'll be honest, I was going to do the whole chapter tonight. Um, Is there more things that went wrong in the rest of the chapter? Yes. But there's also things that went right. So if you want a little bit of homework, you can go home and read the rest of Exodus 32 and see if you can figure out what things went right. I was going to just tack them on, and I thought, oh, how sad. How sad that we could spend 40 minutes talking about what went wrong and what we have to watch out in life when Scripture always gives us both. Yes, it's for correction, it's for reproof, but it's also for instruction in righteousness. We can always look in Scripture and be convicted of the things we're doing wrong, like maybe your thinking isn't in line with God right now. Or maybe even if you're not a leader in a church, you're still listening to the wrong people. And maybe God right now is dealing with you in a way he really doesn't want to, you're just not giving him a chance. Well then, amen that you were here tonight. But also amen when, Lord willing, in two weeks, we can look at the rest of this chapter and see all the things that went right. And know that that's the God that we serve, the God that loves us, the God that's there for us, and the God that will always provide. But Lord, come quickly. I pray none of us are here in two weeks for that. I pray we're all in eternity. But if we're not, I look forward to sharing the rest of Exodus 32 in two weeks. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I I, I really, really thank you. I just want to stop there before I start rattling off anything else. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you are slow to anger. Thank you that you abound in mercy. Lord, I mean, I don't just know all those things because I read them in your word. I know all those things because I would have been wiped off the face of the earth if you weren't all of those things. So thank you. Lord, thank you that I can look at a story that I've known since I was two and just have it still speak to me, Lord, in a way that it didn't when I was two. Lord, I don't know. If I'm wrong, then I know that you will... Forgive me, but I just, I don't believe this was direct, that, that they could care less about you, Lord. It just made sense to them. And 
how, and yet we look at our lives and wonder how we can fool ourselves into something. So I know you're working, Lord, and I know your word is living and powerful. So whatever weaknesses we're each dealing with individually, Lord, I know you have us here so that we can strengthen them. Whatever comfort we need, whatever conviction, I know that it comes from your word and from your spirit. So, Lord, I, I only know my shortcomings. I know when my thinking doesn't line up with yours. I know when I listen to the wrong people, and I know when you have to respond in my life. I can't say that for anyone else. Lord, your spirit can reveal why each one of us are here tonight, what we were supposed to take from the passage. And I thank you, Lord, that you did convince me to, to cut the passage in half, Lord, even though it's one story. Um, what went right is definitely worthy of its own sermon and something that I'm looking forward to expounding on and, and just sharing with my family, uh, if you permit it to happen. So we thank you for this night. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the spirit that we'll all go home with. We give this night to you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Isn't it wonderful that in spite of ourselves, that God is still gracious and merciful and faithful to us? After hearing that, you cannot point a finger at Israel, just like uh, Pastor John said, without pointing a finger at yourself first. So let's stand. And we're going to pray, actually we're going we're gonna to sing this song, 139, Great is Thy Faithfulness. We're going to sing all three verses. I was listening to it on the way here, and obviously I won't sing it with the same power as they did, because they have a backing track. But I pray that I will sing it with a much deeper heart in the sense that I'm worshiping my God right now. 139. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest. Sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Joined with all nature in manifold witness To thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness Morning by morning new mercies I see. 
All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Verse 3. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Amen. Be blessed.